All right, we are in 1 Corinthians 14. We're um, winding down our study of the Holy Spirit and His gifts in that we have maybe two, three at the most uh, studies left on this uh, fascinating subject. Uh, one of the reasons that we did this study, well, we did it because we were led by the Lord, of course, but uh, right now, uh, some of you know there's a huge controversies uh, in the Christian community. Again, there's always controversy over the gifts of the Spirit and their exercise in the church, but um, there's a, a renewed uh, assault, really, against charismatic and Pentecostal churches by certain uh, theologians and, and pastors uh, to try and uh, get everybody to become cessationists and say that certain gifts of the Spirit don't exist anymore. So we're carefully going through the Scriptures to let everybody know what we believe, giving you an opportunity to study that for yourself and come to your own conclusions. So we're in 1 Corinthians 14 tonight. We're going to try and look at verses 13 through 19. When is five greater than 10,000? It's when it comes to the words you speak in the public assembly of the church, according to uh, Paul, as we'll see. And so let's put in at verse 13 and see where he's going with this. It says, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Now, the cessationist, who I just explained is a person that believes certain gifts of the Spirit, like speaking in tongues, have ceased sometime in or around the end of the first century. The cessationist wants to read this as if it says, therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may prophesy or teach. I mean, that's the, the intent of their teaching is to get you totally away from any thought of the gift of t speaking in tongues. But that's not what Paul says. He says, if you speak in a tongue, pray that you may interpret. Paul nowhere in this chapter denigrates the gift of speaking in tongues. Why would he? It is, after all, a manifestation of God the Holy Spirit. To denigrate his gift, any gift, would be to denigrate him. Now, the solution to the Corinthian problem, and there, it was a problem of simultaneously speaking in uninterpreted tongues, the solution is to speak in tongues one by one and ask for a corresponding gift of interpretation for each. We'll get to that uh, in a few verses in um, subsequent studies if the Lord doesn't return for us. Interpretation renders the tongue intelligible, and as the hearers understand it, then they are built up. <clears throat> Verse 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, do you immediately read that verse as a negative, as a slam on tongues? I think we have a tendency to do that because we put so much value on understanding and knowledge and uh, just uh, the accrual of knowledge, but it isn't a negative at all. Uh, Paul is just stating the fact. Uh, and in fact, it's a positive thing because tongues is a spiritual talk between your spirit and God's that bypasses your understanding. Uh, it's a good thing. Now, some say that speaking in tongues even in private is stupid because of that, but God says it builds you up to do that in private. We need to believe God and not our own arguments. I've talked to you before about uh, how hard it is to read something without a bias. We all have biases, whether it's the way we've been taught or raised or you know, just where we're coming from, our own experiences. Uh, it's hard, and so we, but we need to, as much as possible, with the help of the Holy Spirit, just read the Word of God and take it at its face value, letting the Word of God comment on itself, uh, you know, uh, making sure that we understand the text in its context and all the texts around it. Uh, but if we want to believe God and not our own arguments, 
um, we have to admit that speaking in tongues, bypassing our intellect is a good thing. Too often the premium we place on our own intellect becomes a stumbling block in our walk with God. With the gift of tongues, even if I do not have it myself, if you don't have that gift, I see that there is more to knowing God and loving God than my mere intellect can fathom. There, there's just more to God, and there always will be. Uh, verse 15, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. What is the conclusion that cessationists come to? They dismiss praying with the Spirit and only allow praying with the understanding, and they would do the same for singing. Uh, but that is not the conclusion that Paul comes to. And by the way, apparently it is okay to sing in tongues. So if you feel like you have the gift of speaking in tongues, uh, you're just as likely to sing it. Uh, and I've heard that before, and it can be very beautiful, obviously. Praying and singing with the Spirit means praying and praising with the gift of tongues in an unknown language. Praying and singing with the understanding means praying and praising in ways that can be understood by everyone. Whether it is spoken or sung, Paul says that he will do it both with tongues and with words that can be understood by everyone. If you are in a public assembly and are invited to participate, you can also do both, but with one additional rule that we'll get to a little bit later, if you pray or praise in tongues, it also needs the corresponding interpretation. Now, let me pause for a moment to explain something that I think is a little bit important that uh, we at least um, talk about. A charismatic might observe us as a church and object to our Sunday morning service, for example, since we disallow speaking in tongues and other manifestations of the Spirit. So here we are talking about how we believe in the continuation of the gifts and spending all this time talking about tongues and all that, uh, but then on Sunday morning, we don't allow that. Now, I don't think it's fair to say we disallow it, although that's the end result. I'm not trying to be doublespeak, but hear me out. It's more like we disallow interruptions because we are led by the Holy Spirit in our order of service. Now, I hesitate to give an example because I don't think a church service can be compared to anything else that we attend. I mean, in the meetings of the church, Jesus says he walks in our midst seeking to minister in the power of his resurrection. In church services, it can happen other places too, but in church services, lives are changed for eternity. People hear the gospel and they respond to the gospel and are saved for eternity. Uh, believers come back to the Lord in repentance and, and, and they give up their backsliding and their sin. I mean, it should be a, a place of power and authority and, and, and amazing things that are happening in the body of Christ. That kind of stuff is not going to happen when you go see X-Men, Days of Future Past. At least I hope not. But let's say you're at the movie and the guy in front of you, for whatever reason, pulls out his iPad, opens to Netflix, and starts watching Thor, The Dark World, with the volume turned all the way up. Then a drama troupe goes forward to the floor just in front of the screen, and they begin to act out a play. You get the scene? So you're in the movies. You're watching a movie. Another guy's watching a different movie on his iPad. Fifteen people are on their telephone. Babies are crying, and there's a drama going down. You know, they're reenacting 
you know, uh, death of a salesman or something. And, all, and, and you think, well, that's ridiculous. Where's the ushers? Where's the management? That's not what we came for. Those would be interruptions because you are there to see the movie. You're not there to see a free-for-all. It's not the farmer's market. It's a movie. So similarly, we trust God, the Holy Spirit, to tell us what He wants us to do when we gather together as believers. And we hear Him for Sunday morning telling us, emphasize uninterrupted corporate singing and uninterrupted teaching and preaching of the Bible. If He were to tell us to do something else, we would do that. And, and we don't always do exactly, we, you know, over the years we've done different things. About, I don't know how many months ago, we started having the little reflection time at the end of our studies. And so we, we, we do what the Holy Spirit seems to be leading us to do. Here's the bottom line. This is what we have to all sign on for. It is not unspiritual to have order or to plan something ahead of time. It does not in any way quench the Holy Spirit to follow His pre-leading. We need to somehow get over the notion that the Spirit can only be spontaneous and that planning is somehow inherently unspirit-like. And that's kind of the impression that charismatic and Pentecostal Christians have, that the Holy Spirit is only moving when there is spontaneity and things are not planned, any other time is a quenching of the Holy Spirit. That, that is just a, you may disagree with me, that, that absolutely is a general conclusion that charismatic and Pentecostal Christians come to. Now, if I wanted to be critical, I would point out that in most charismatic and Pentecostal services, the same things happen every week. It's just that what happens sounds like prophecy and the gift of tongues and things like that. And, but pretty much the same service happens each week, only with the gifts of the Spirit uh, on display. Um, but the, the point I'm making is that if you're seeking the Spirit, if we're seeking the Spirit as a church, there's no reason why He can't say, this is what I would like you to do on Sunday morning. And what I'd like you to do is have uninterrupted worship so that people aren't freaked out and that no one's calling attention to themselves. And I'd like you to teach the Word of God without an interruption because that is the time that I've designated for people to learn and grow and be equipped in the work of the ministry to go out and minister. And then do some different things on Wednesday night. Uh, have a completely different service on Wednesday night where you invite everybody to participate. Uh, and and I, I think that's fantastic. I don't see anything quenching about it. Uh, and, and so, you know, the Holy Spirit, He's capable of planning and of, of pre-planning. He's not just waiting for something crazy to happen. He's not looking for the person He can touch who will act the craziest so that He can reveal Himself. God is a God of order. Uh, it doesn't mean amazing things can't happen or sometimes even unusual things. It just means that we need to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 16, otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? 
Blessed with the Spirit is a description of speaking prayer or praise to God in tongues. The uninformed seems to be a blanket description of anyone who hears you speaking in tongues but cannot understand because there's no corresponding interpretation. You're treating them or you're making them uninformed by speaking unintelligibly. Amen assumes the setting of corporate worship where this word taken over from the Jewish synagogue indicated a wholehearted response to and endorsement of the words of another. You realize when you say amen, what, uh, well, I don't know what you mean by it, but in its original setting and meaning, it means I've heard what you said and I wholeheartedly agree with it. Uh, it's not just the word that ends. Prayer. Sometimes we all do it. I do it. It's the code word that ends our prayer. You know that the pastor or whoever is done praying because they say amen. And that's fine. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But what it really means is I was just listening to David Brooks or Jim Laporte pray and I, amen, brother. Amen. I'm with you. I, I would have prayed that same prayer myself. I'm 100% with you on that. Now, an utterance in tongues, either spoken or sung, cannot evoke an endorsement from others who hear it because they have no way of knowing what you said. Even if it's genuine, they think you're a solid believer, you can't actually say, amen. Well, what did he say? I don't know. How can you endorse it? I can't. Uh, and so Paul's just being, you know, I, I remember one time years ago, I was listening to a, a Bible study by Charles Swindoll. He was going through Galatians and... Um, he made the comment, he goes, he goes, you know, when you have an apple pie, no matter where you slice it, you taste apple. Uh, you know, there's, there's no part of it that becomes a peach pie unless it's one of those crazy put-together pies, you know, that you get. And, and so I know we keep going over a lot of the same things over and over again, but Paul, Paul didn't have a problem with that because they had a huge situation in Corinth, and he wants to hit this from every possible angle. And so we keep getting this same slice of the Pentecostal pie that uninterpreted tongues don't do anybody any good in public. Um, now, there might also be a slight hint in this that certain people might only seem to be speaking in tongues when, in fact, they don't have the gift at all. How's that? It's not uncommon in certain Pentecostal churches for the leaders to teach a person how to speak in tongues. If you're under lying theology is that to be a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, you have to receive the Holy Spirit, and the evidence of that is that you speak in tongues, it's going to be pretty important to get everybody who comes forward to be saved to speak in tongues. Uh, and so there are churches that will help you speak in tongues. Here's an example of what one group recommends. This is This is this is what they want you to do. Get on your knees, close your eyes, bow your head in subjection and reverence to God. Begin praising God, saying the word hallelujah. Repeat it over and over and over. When or if you start to stumble over this repetition of the word hallelujah, don't try to correct your speech to say the word accurately. It may be the Holy Spirit beginning to take control of your tongue and to change this word of praise to another language which is what speaking in tongues is. Continue to do these last two steps for as long as it is necessary to allow the Spirit to take control of your tongue and to speak in tongues. Now, I don't even want to act like that's funny. But the, the suggestion here, because they teach that you must speak in tongues, 
just keep saying hallelujah until you're so exhausted you're slurring your words and that's going to be your prayer language. I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem genuine to me. It seems disingenuine. But So the truth is, you might only think you are speaking in tongues when in reality you're not. And I've known people like this. Uh, because I've you know, been around Calvary Chapel for the last 35 years or so, I only have an experience with this. I'm sure it happens in other churches too, but sometimes people come from Pentecostal backgrounds into a Calvary Chapel and they say, yeah, I used to speak with tongues, but now I know that it was just fake. It was just something I made up. Uh, I know I don't really have that gift. I have these other gifts. And so uh, it is possible that people sometimes make up their prayer language. If you speak in tongues and there is an interpretation, you can be much more certain that your gifting is genuine. It's not the only way, uh, but, uh, you know, if, let's say you come to a group like this and you speak in tongues and then there's an interpretation and it's by a, somebody we consider solid, you think, well, maybe that must, uh, that must have been genuine then. It's not just me speaking into the air. Verse 17, for you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. If your gift is genuine, it still cannot edify others without it being understood by them. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Apparently, his life of personal devotion was regularly given to praying and praising in tongues. More than you all certainly isn't bragging. Paul wasn't one to boast in this sense. He might be referring to the fact that often enough, a person who has the gift of speaking in tongues rarely exercises it in private. It would be of no surprise if many of the tongue speakers in Corinth were exercising their gift a lot in public, but a little in private. In other words, it's this fantastic private devotional prayer language between you and God that bypasses your intellect and allows you to pour out your spirit to God. But I've talked, again, in my own life as well, and I've talked to people over the years, you start talking about tongues and they'll frequently say, man, I can't remember the last time I've spoken tongues. And so it is, it does happen, and it may be, a, a, you know, an offhanded reference to the fact that sometimes people, even though God intends the gift as a worship gift, they really only exercise it in public uh, in order to call attention to themselves. It happens. He says in verse 19, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. I can't help but wonder if some were accusing Paul of being unspiritual or of not being spirit-filled because all he did was teach them. Paul would come and he would teach. and I mean, there's that one episode there where he teaches all day and all night so that, is it Eutychus who falls out of the window and dies and he has to go, he says, hang on, we're going to go have an afterglow and they raise him from the dead and then they go back up and he teaches some more because Paul was led by the Holy Spirit to, to do a lot of teaching. It, that's one of the primary gifts that he had. And so I could see people saying, well, you know, Paul, all he does is teach. He's not very spiritual. Paul was probably the first one accused of believing in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Have you ever heard that before? A lot of, a lot of uh, charismatics, when they want to put you down because they don't think you're spiritual enough, that's what, well, you people at Calvary, you believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. In other words, you've cut out the Spirit and you just read the Bible. I'm thinking, well, I, the Bible's pretty important. I understand what they're saying, and you know, hopefully we have the Spirit, you know, but um, so it could be that Paul is just saying, hey, look, you know, if you want to, 
if you want to speak in tongues, and if you want to have like a contest to see who can speak in tongues the most, I've beaten you already, but I'll, I can go for it. He could out-tongue them any day. The manifestation of the gift was not enough. It must be manifest in ways that could be understood so that everyone might benefit. We shouldn't want to look spiritual, but rather to be spiritual, and that by thinking of others and not of ourselves. Has God given you the gift of speaking in tongues? Then exercise it a lot by praying and praising in your devotions. Maybe you're one of those people that says, yeah, I do have that gift, but man, as you, I really can't remember the last time I did that or I'm hardly ever speaking in tongues. Be open to exercising it here too if you already have the gift. Do you desire the gift of speaking in tongues? We can't teach it. But I would encourage you, if you're prompted by the Holy Spirit, simply start praying without speaking English. It sounds weird, but that's as close to anything as I can come. I came across an interesting testimony of a woman named Jackie Pullinger. You can look this up on, uh, in, on Wikipedia, which never lies. But uh, actually, I read it in a book first, and then I, I verified it there. I've got a little bit more detail from her book, but Jackie Pullinger, pretty sure she's still alive. She's a British Protestant Christian charismatic missionary to Hong Kong. She's the founder of something called the St. Stephen's Society. She's been ministering in Hong Kong since 1966. Her work has resulted in hundreds and hundreds of drug addicts being saved from their drug addiction, heroin addicts. The early years of her Hong Kong ministry are chronicled in a book called Chasing the Dragon. The intervention process that the drug addicts go through is very intensive. Instead of giving them medications, they are put into a room for 10 days, prayed over and cared for by a group of ex-addicts. She was so successful in changing lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ that the city officials gave her land to build a mission house to expand her work. Her work was the only work that was helping street people uh, get clean and, and become productive members of society. And the city officials noted it, and they began to cooperate with her and help her. And it's a straight gospel ministry. She's a born-again believer sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Very interesting, though, in the 60s, after an addict would pray to receive Jesus Christ, they're out on the street dealing with people in the moment who are addicted to heroin, on heroin. They would share Christ with them very simply. They would pray to receive Christ. And then her and her workers would tell that new convert, now start speaking in a language that's not your own. That was something that the Lord told them to do. And without biases or teaching to the contrary, they would. And they would continue speaking in tongues, praying and praising God, and it was a part of getting free from their addiction. Now, I'm not saying that every heroin addict who receives Jesus can speak in tongues or that praying in tongues is the cure for anything. Uh, I think a lot of people would jump to that conclusion. Uh, it was God's will and it was His way for that mission at that time. And this gal prayed and she's out in the streets, you know, up to with her sleeves rolled up doing a ministry and God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then I want you to encourage these men and women to pray in a language that they've never learned. And um, without biases or without teaching to the contrary, they, they would. 
and God would bless them with the gift. I mean, if you're going to speak in tongues, at some point you're going to have to open your mouth and say something. I'm not saying you get on your knees and start saying hallelujah until you slur your words. But at some point, it's a speaking gift, is it not? And so you're going to have to open your mouth and say something. It may seem far-fetched to you, but the Holy Spirit isn't giving you uh, the gift. Uh, it, it just might be the step of faith you need to take. I once thought I had received a prophecy. Early in my Christian life, I thought I was in a group, a home Bible study where we waited on the Lord and you know, had a little mini afterglow, and I thought I had received a prophecy, and so I boldly, I sat up and I boldly started saying, the Lord. And then I just sat back because nothing else came after that. <laughs> and I, I had my eyes closed, but a little open, and everybody was looking at me. I think one of the guys might have even said, do you have anything else to add to that? No, I don't. Just the Lord. And they may have, you know, said something like, well, that's a powerful word, you know. I mean, we do need to remember that he is Lord, but I determined uh, pretty quickly that it wasn't the Holy Spirit prompting me because uh, nothing else came. Now, the first time I was ever asked to teach the Bible, same Bible study, oh, man, it, it lasted five minutes, and it was only that long because I kept repeating myself. And at the end of that, they said, well, if that's all the Lord's put on your heart, praise the Lord. And uh, we got right into the apple strudel or whatever it was. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is um, not that God has to make a fool out of you, but sometimes you take a step of faith and it feels like you fall off a precipice. But if you're with people who love you, it's not a big deal. Uh, as much as I knew I did not have the gift of prophecy, uh, not just because of that failure, I did know I was called to pastor and therefore I was going to have to teach. So I kept at teaching and allowed the Holy Spirit room to lead me hobbling along at first uh, and developing that gift. And there's nothing wrong with your gift developing. Just because God gives you a gift, it doesn't mean... there's a. I want to be careful saying this because it is all of the Holy Spirit, but there is a cooperation with you. You have to be the one that talks and moves and does these things animated by the Spirit. And so uh, you, you can grow in your gift and in its exercise. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't take away from it. It is a faith thing discovering your gift or gifts. You're, and like I said before, if you are praying for the gift of tongues... At some point, you're going to have to open your mouth and start speaking in a language that isn't English or whatever other language that you know. And uh, I don't know what else to tell you other than that. And so um, I think sometimes there are people, uh, in a, you know, when we have a setting like this where you are actually being prompted to say something. Uh, we've had many times... People, you know, after the meeting is over, a person will come up and say, well, oh, I, I had a vision. God had given me a vision, but I was just, I kept holding back, and I just, and then the meeting was over, and I should have, should have shared it. I go, yes, you should have. <laughs> I said, but share it now. 
and then we'll share it, you know, and then I'll share it at the next meeting or so. You know, and, and it, it isn't always a physical thing. Some people report it as, you know, well, I'm just, my heart was beating and I just knew I had to do it, you know. Uh, that happens. It doesn't have to happen. But, um, you know, sometimes maybe you're going to, maybe you're going to step out in faith one time and just say, the Lord. <laughs> and then this group will laugh. Because you know, yeah, yeah, Pastor Gene's mistake all over again, you know. I bet you feel foolish. And you know what? You will feel foolish, but it's okay because you're among a bunch of fools and some other people who were supposed to say something and didn't, and, and it's just, just the way it is. And so, so I'm, you know, I'm not encouraging you or discouraging. I'm just saying, you know, I mean, because we're going through this, and you know, we're talking about the gift of tongues, and people are saying, well, you know, so how do you get it? It's a gift. The Holy Spirit gives it to you, but at some point you have to speak. If you feel like you have the gift of teaching, at some point you have to, you have to be call, you know, asked to teach and see how you do. If you have the gift of prophecy, you have to do that. Even sharing the scriptures, you know, I, I know that seems like an easy one, but hopefully people aren't just flipping to different scriptures, so I'm going to share this and act like it's the word of prophecy. And You know, a lot of times here, people say, man, I was just thinking of that very scripture or that I read earlier. I mean, it is what you're prompted to do. Uh, so just... You know, the reason we have these little uh, gift shop moments is so that you can have an opportunity to step out in faith and see if God is gifting you. If you don't feel comfortable making a fool of yourself in a public assembly, uh, like I do uh, all the time, then, um, you know, at home. I remember, and this is my last, last testimony I'll give, and then we'll get into our time together, but... Uh, when I first got saved, I knew I, was, I knew I was saved. I mean, there was no doubt about it. It was just a radical transformation. And then the guy who led me to Christ, a good friend, he gave me Greg Laurie's tapes on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And um, he kept wanting to pray for me to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit, like my air quotes, and uh, all that kind of stuff. And I actually got mad at him because I thought he was telling me that I wasn't saved, that uh, you know, he kept indicating that there was something lacking, and I knew that Pam and I were radically saved. And so about, I don't know how many months later, I was driving in the, my 78 Monte Carlo, which was always a miracle that it actually drove, you know, the worst car ever. One time, the smog pump fell off the car while I was driving into the motor, and I just, I heard it, and I thought, I don't care what that is. Imagine just, you know, boom, and I thought, man, maybe this thing will finally blow up, but no, you know, it, it survived. Uh, but I was driving along, I can tell you exactly where I was. I was on the 15 freeway uh, at the Colton Redlands Interchange. And um, I was listening to the radio, and somebody was talking about the gift of speaking in tongues, and I, I felt like the Lord spoke to me, and I turned it off, and I felt like the Lord said, you know, this is a real thing. Why don't you just do it? And I said, all right, it's on, and I just started speaking in a language that I'd never learned. And, and I can't give you any more testimony than that. And so, now, does everybody speak with tongues? No. Do you have to speak with tongues? No. Am I encouraging you to do that? Only if you feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to do that. And if you want, do it at home or pray about it and do it when the Lord prompts you. We're not trying to, to build up to, you know, please come forward now and speak with tongues. Uh, but there has to be some practical application of this, and that's what it is. Just start speaking in a language that you never learned. And uh, if you flop at it, 
then go with the gifts that God has given you and let that one lie, all right? 